Um, it comes from Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Well, there, did you notice the escape clause in that? Did you notice what it said? Um, Don't hold a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, the sons of your neighbor are who your neighbor is. So, if they're not sons of your neighbor, they must be my enemy. So, as, as we look at this, that's what we see as our, our escape clause, or possibly seen our, our escape clause in that particular verse. The common interpretation of those who would have heard this would have seen this, sons of your own people. Well, that must mean my own people, my own nationality, my own family, my own fellow church bunnies, fisher bunnies. Uh, I think those listening online might be a little confused of what that actually means, but... Uh, or my church benders, I like Matt Kreeb's uh, uh, d- description of us here at East Bend, calls us benders. Uh, my friends, my teammates. So there's an idea that this is what my neighbor means. In verse 16 of Leviticus there, he talks again about a neighbor. Uh, do not do anything that endangers, endangers your neighbor's life. And there's a practical example of that in Deuteronomy 22.8, like it says here, when you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. In other words, whenever you build a house, you should put a, a barrier up of a preparate as like a, a railing to prevent people from falling off your roof. I didn't notice. Did you notice the escape clause in that? It said, when you build a new house, so if an old house, I'm fine. Grandfathered in. We can let people fall off old houses, right? Because it's an old house. So this is, this is how the human mind works. We want to find these loopholes that don't, don't apply to us. Now, the second part of that first verse there, hating your enemy. Hating your enemy, as far as I could find, is not found in Scripture as a command uh, anywhere. Uh, there is, I did find a, a passage in Proverbs, or Ecclesiastes 3.8. There is a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So it would be logical to conclude, if they are not my neighbor, and they are, I'm not bound to the law to love them, logically, I can hate them. Uh, now there are some Old Testament passages that deal with uh, enemies uh, Proverbs sixteen seven: when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And Proverbs 25, 21 through 22, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, you thought that was a New Testament passage, didn't you? It does. It is found in the Old Testament. So, when Jesus said, you have heard it said, this is those... For those who are listening, this is how they would have understood loving your neighbors. How does humanity respond? It is human nature to want to know the rules. What are the boundaries? What are the exceptions? What are the loopholes? We want to know these things, and they help us feel good about ourselves. 
Ever hear the saying, it is better to ask for forgiveness than permission? How many have used this in their, uh, in their life? Uh, yeah, I see a few hands. Come on, there's more than that. <laughs> there we go. Um, uh, you know parents and spouses don't approve of what you're about to do, but you do it anyway because you know you'll be forgiven. Well, you hope you'll be forgiven. How fast can I go and not get a speeding ticket? What is, a legal, what is legal for me to deduct on my taxes? How many calories can I consume and not gain weight? Do we pass food to the right or to the left? How close to the property line can I hunt or farm? Is a white lie told out of love a good thing? And how about this one, all's fair in love and war? Or if, what if, I'm, if I'm five minutes late, am I still on time? In fact, we, uh, the reward for breaking the law, if the reward for breaking the rule or law is much greater than consequence, we might even choose to break the law. Have you, as a parent, ever told your child, if you do this, there will be consequences? To which the reply is, well, what are the consequences? Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Because we live this way of always finding loopholes and exceptions to the rule or law, we attribute the same philosophy to our relationship with God. The police give us a little grace if I'm only five miles over the speed limit. Maybe my speedometer is off a little or I wasn't paying attention or how fast, to how fast I was going for just a moment. In fact, if we get a ticket for one mile an hour over, we think that the, the police officer has been totally out of line. So what is this definition of escape clause? I'm, I used to, I've been using this word. It is a provision in a contract that enables the party to terminate the contractual obligations in, a specifi- in specified circumstances. And I, was, I thought this was interesting. The origin of escape clause was first recorded in 1940 40 to 45. So in other words, an escape clause, if I want to buy a house, I put some earnest money down, say I, I want to get this house, and with the agreement that if uh, there is an inspection that reveals uh, a cracked foundation, termites, faulty wiring, I, have, I can escape the contractual agreement of buying that house because of some extenuating circumstances. So anyway, human nature can be found in the questions we asked of Jesus as well. And we can kind of see some of those questions that were asked in Scripture. Should, I, should we pay taxes, or who should we pay taxes to? How many times should we forgive? Seven? Seven, is that enough? That should be enough. That should be good. Seven. Seven. Let's do seven. Um, what about, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's been, that was asked several times. What are what is the things that I need to do and not do? What, what can I get away with and still, still get this in, in uh, eternal life? When will your kingdom come into being? You know, how much time do I have? Can I live this way up until right then, whenever you come back? Or is it, uh, to, am, I, am I obligated to do this, you know, all the time? You know, from starting now? You know, that, that kind of thing. Are there loopholes and exceptions to rules that would justify me breaking the law or rule as to not be considered disobedience or sin? 
Each time an escape clause question is asked, Jesus responds by making an escape clause nearly impossible, therefore making the standard to be the perfection of God. In verses 44 and 45, Jesus reveals what God's desire for us in the command to love our neighbor. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the Son to rise on evil and the good and sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. So the natural question is, well, who is my enemy? There's got to be an escape clause for that. The definition of the enemy, as the Greek word that is used there is ekthros, is hated or hostile, uh, someone openly hostile. Irreconcilable hostility describes a person resolved to inflict harm. There's no exception or distinction on how to define uh, enemy any other ways than that in this particular scripture. At the time, in that context, when Jesus used the word enemy, Rome and its military would have been included as those who were the enemy as well as the tax collector and the Gentile and Samaritan. There are no exceptions mentioned, no clarification given to the word enemy, no escape clause like there was for divorce. Jesus, uh, let me go on beyond that. Unfortunately, the question who is my enemy, is never asked of Jesus. The closest thing we have is, who is my neighbor? And we see that in the Good Samaritan parable. And Luke mentioned and and preached a little bit on that a few weeks ago. An expert in the law gets up and says, "Uh, what is it that I must do to inherit eternal life? And so, what is written in the law, Jesus asked, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he immediately replies, as a lawyer, someone who is an expert in the law, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers and tells him the parable, and of course, we all know the parable. And at the end of the parable, he doesn't say, who was the neighbor? He says, who was the neighbor to the man? Once again, he changed the the question to not reflect the external, who is my neighbor, but who who was the neighbor? We don't get to define who my neighbor is, because if we get to define who it is and isn't my neighbor, then we are no longer bound to the command. We want to justify hating people, or at the very least, we don't want this command to include everyone. They don't count. We want some exceptions. We want an escape clause. So Jesus commands us to love our neighbor, even those that we hate. With this in mind, how do you think Jesus would have responded if we asked him who our neighbors were? Verse 45 and 47 through 47 comes as close to answering that question as I think we're going to get. In 45, um, he says, The sun shall rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I thought about the the Fisher parades where those in in the parade are throwing candy indiscriminately to people out in the crowd. Uh, as those as God's reigning and uh, on on the just and the unjust, um, 
My wife Jane likes to throw it right back. Uh, and I come to think of it, there may be another sermon analogy in, in that. Um, but, but that idea of throwing indiscriminately grace and mercy uh, about God uh, sending rain on the just and the unjust is something that I thought about in, in the parade and, and candy. Essentially, what Jesus is saying about our enemies is that God shows love to his enemies as much as he shows love to us. He is providing care for their survival for them as much as he is you. He made our enemies just as he made us, and he values their lives just as much as ours. Paul tells Timothy, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing in the sight of our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. As far as we know, everyone is a potential child of God, and, we should, be, and should be treated as such. Unconditional love, submission, and humility are central aspects of the gospel. Loving our enemies is the character of Christ and is for the purpose of winning souls to Christ. We were all once enemies of God. We all and still need mercy. Shouldn't we, be, shouldn't we likewise extend mercy to those who may even be our enemies? So what is the application and conclusion that we can glean from this? There are multiple sermons that could have been given on, on these six verses, one of them being a Christian's response to war, maybe another on praying, for our enemies. However, let's look at how Jesus expects us to love and respond differently than the world does. Some may say, I really don't have any enemies, and to some degree, I understand that. Um, we try to live our lives so we don't make enemies. However, I know people whose family relationships are volatile and full of conflict. Some are from political differences, some are from faith issues, some are from inheritance issues. Some are control issues, and some are divorce issues. As I was thinking about this and who my neighbors and our enemies would be, I wanted to say, uh, this, this, isn't, this doesn't really you know, touch me. Uh, you know, I, I try not to have enemies. Uh, however, I couldn't really say that the, the more I examined and was convicted by the Holy Spirit about this. Uh, maybe a coach or two didn't play my kids as much as I wanted. Maybe my softball, in my softball days, I didn't care for the sportsmanship of a, a player or two. Maybe I wasn't so happy about when my neighbor let his beagles run all the deer off my property before I went out to hunt. Okay, at that moment, he was my enemy. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't happy about someone who cut me off in traffic. Well, that's just an emotional response. I can't, I can't be held responsible for that. Maybe I wasn't happy about the direction Mennonite Church USA was leading the denomination. Maybe those in government who support abortion, killing life in the womb, are enemies. Verses 46 through 47, if you, love, if, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your people... What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. How do we treat people differently than the unbeliever? How do we respond to conflict? 
How do we respond to hostility? How do I interact and speak about the coach, my teacher, my waitress, my boss, or my client? They say the customer is always right, but that's not quite true, is it? How does the world treat their political enemy? How does the world treat the celebrity or athlete that cheats or commits a crime? We like to use the term righteous anger to justify positions and sometimes our actions. We don't handle righteous anger very well, so I would caution you on that. I'm just saying we need to be careful when we claim righteous anger. Being right does not justify the right to be rude, arrogant, or mean. How is that any different than the world? Is the person that has a different political view my neighbor? I get very concerned when I see the church get involved in politics. The very nature of politics pits one group of people against another and uses and exploits our emotions and the worst in us for political power and winning at all costs. Is a corrupt, evil system that is the kingdom of this world and does not encourage us to love our neighbor. It encourages us to hate and to see the opposition party as our enemies and undeserving of respect or love. Now, I know lots of Christians may disagree with me on this, and, and they would argue that we need more Christians in politics and government positions to protect and maintain these Christian moral values in a country. And I would suggest that real change, though, comes from evangelism and revival, not through governmental power and control. To those who believe in political activism, I'm not going to say that it's wrong, but I would guess caution you with this question. The moral values that we value all come from the command to love our neighbor as ourselves. Can you protect them and keep them at the same time? How do I speak about celebrities, political parties, or government officials? I have a Christian brother I consider a dear friend who hates President Trump with passion. This is not uncommon. He's a very volatile figure. I know Christian and brothers who have the same hatred for the Clintons and President Obama. There seems to be some kind of disconnect that since high-profile type people aren't in my circle of personal relationships, I can treat and talk about them differently. My attitude is exempt. Since I don't know or have a relationship with Governor Pritzker or Donald Trump, Jesus' command doesn't really apply here. However, what I say to them and my attitude about them reveals something about my heart to anyone who hears it. Verse 48 sums up these sets of verses. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. God is perfect, holy and just. Perfection is what he requires. If we were to ask Jesus, who is our enemy, based on everything we know about him, wouldn't we expect him to say to us, who was the one who loved like the Heavenly Father does? Who was the one who loved without exception, without an escape clause? And to conclude, I thought I would read from Romans 13, 8 through 10. Own no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, 
and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. Let's pray. Lord God, the ability to love our neighbors like you do is, an, is impossible without the help of your spirit living in us. And I pray for that power of your spirit to teach us and convict us to love like you love. In Jesus' name, amen.